welcome back, everybody. It's Sunday evening, and I am not watching football. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I am tired of watching football today. I did watch a little bit of football. My Steelers lost, which I was disappointed in, but I don't know. I, uh, I got a great panel. We're going to talk about Montgomery County's public financing system. Uh, that's, uh, that's the hot topic today, so um, we'll go right into the show I have uh, Jennifer Bevendangle of Common Cause, Maryland. I have a Montgomery County Council candidate, Danielle Mativ, and Bobby Littman of MocoVoters.org. And these folks are going to talk all about how this system works, what it means, um, sort of the legal ins and outs, the policy behind it. Um, so welcome, gang. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for having Thanks us. For having us. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. I hope you all had a great weekend, and um, I know that I uh, stood against the wall and sung the national anthem a couple of times. So, um, <laughs> oh, like I was, I put out on Twitter. I'm like, all right, everybody, uh, we're going to talk about public financing tonight, and everybody was like, oh, we we want to talk about the NFL. Well, I don't want to talk about the NFL. We've talked about that all weekend. Our president's talking about that, so we'll leave that to uh, we'll leave that to the culture warriors. So. Um, okay. So Montgomery County, we have this system that a lot of people are talking about these days. It's called public financing. So let's start, um, Bobby, I'm going to start with you and tell us what is public financing? Um, what's the genesis of it getting started in Montgomery County and how does it, how does it work? Um, when, how maybe how doesn't it how doesn't it work? So Bobby, we're going to start the show with you. So the floor is yours, my friend. Well, you know, first of all, Ryan, thank you for this. This is an incredibly important subject because it it really relates to our local democracy. And if we improve our local democracy, we can improve at other levels. But I have to tell you, the real expert in this is Jennifer. And if you don't mind, I'm going to show a lot of respect for her expertise and let Jennifer okay. answer this question. All right, so we'll show some deference to Jennifer, our friend over at Common Cause Maryland, which, by the way, I'm a big fan of. I love the work that they do, and they, they really put forth some excellent policy. So, Jennifer, you have the floor has been yielded to you, so why don't you take the lead on this question? Well, thank you so much, and huge thanks to Bobby, who's done so much to make this issue a huge central issue in this election year. I mean, his, his work elevating public funding has been tremendous and really excited to have this chance to talk about it on your show. So public funding, it goes by many names, citizens election funds, fair elections, public funding, no matter what you want to call it, it all means the same thing, that candidates pledge to limit their fundraising to certain types of donations. In Montgomery County's case, it's donations of 150 or less from county residents or state residents. Mm -hmm. And in exchange, they'll get matched to different ratios from this public fund of money. And this wasn't an option for a long time. The state controls a lot of our county campaign finance law. And it wasn't until 2013, Kamikaze Maryland helped pass a law that created this, this test. The legislator said, you know, we hear all about public funding. We know that the good government groups you know, say it's a great idea, let's let the counties test it out and see how it works. So in 2013, the county got this enabling language that said, you may try this if you choose, 
and Montgomery County was the first to move forward. They adopted a program in 2014, and thanks to their, their speediness, we're up and running for this election cycle. Mm, yeah, sounds like a lot of work. Um, Danielle, uh, as, a, as a candidate for Montgomery County Council at large, and just for the record, you're down, you're down in Silver Spring. Um, talk to us about why you made a decision to opt into the public financing. Um, well, thanks for that question. To me, it was, there was really no decision to make. It was the only way I was going to do this. In fact, without public financing, I probably wouldn't be in this race. Um, I never saw myself as a politician. I'm a, I'm a scientist by training. I've worked on policy. But the public financing really gives an option to folks who haven't spent a decade or you know, more cultivating people with deep pockets or cultivating that political network um, that helps you get money. So one thing, it helps new people enter the race. It helps, you know, it helps folks look at themselves and see themselves as candidates. For me, it was also a matter of integrity. It really is uh, saying to people that our democracy should not and will not be for sale, that for too long we've had you know, folks with deep pockets, whether it, deep pockets, whether it's corporations or organizations or PACs or just individuals, really just spending a lot of money to influence elections. And, and the public all across the country has gotten disgusted with it. You know, it was a big um, issue in our presidential election. And I think people have lost faith in democracy for that reason. So public election financing is a way of restoring faith in, in just the bedrock um, democratic principles of our country. And, wow. and I think that you know, um, absolutely is the same at every level, including the local level. So I'm going to back up. So back in 2014, um, the Montgomery County Council, uh, they, the purpose behind that, or the, I would say, the plan was to draw small individual donors into the campaigns, and as you mentioned, was to limit the influence of special interest money. And they established this, um, and then it, was, it will allow the eligible candidates for county executive and the council to leverage these contributions, up to $150 through a system of matching public funds. Bobby, what is matching public funds? How does that work? Well, first of all, um, uh, let's just say voters have to know that the two offices for which this applies, I'm talking about right now, are the Montgomery County Executive's Office and the Montgomery County Council's office. Obviously, there's only one executive, and there's nine members of county council. Those are the only two offices for which it applies. Candidates for those offices have, an, have the opportunity to opt in to, those, to public financing or not. They can make a choice. If they opt in, they agree to limit their campaign contributions to $150 and take no money from PACs, um, uh, unions, uh, or corporations. In return for that, um, they get, as Jennifer had talked about, a sliding scale of matching contributions. For example, a $20 contribution to a county council candidate like Danielle would become $100. And um, I, I just I want to emphasize is that this is not just a decision to, like, um, what's the best way to raise money from a candidate. This was designed by Phil Andrews, who was a county council member who worked mm -hmm. on this for 13 years, including when he was a common cause, I suspect. And this is designed to make our democracy 
work better. And so candidates can either opt in to the public financing system or or those that are – and the ones that are opting in for it are bragging about it. They're telling voters about it. The ones that are not opting in, interestingly enough, don't mention it to candidates. And when they – if you ask them how are you financing your campaign, they'll use the term, I'm using the traditional methods. Uh, my organization, which is small, has a, believes that that's a, mis, that's a euphemism, which is meaningless, and we call the alternative fat cat financing. Hmm. Okay. Um, Montgomery County, they joined about half of the 50 states um, uh, and a handful of cities that offers a form of taxpayer subsidies to candidates. When people hear, Jennifer, taxpayer subsidies, do they pull their, their hair out sometimes like, oh, geez, what is this? Is this another pot of money that local officials are going to be able to dip into and you're going to raise my taxes so candidates can fund their campaigns? What is that? What does that mean, the taxpayer subsidy? It means an investment in our elections. And it's something that we don't often think about, but the counties and the state help pay for the voting machines when you go to vote. They pay for the election judges and all the other workers who are out there on election day, pay for the signage that helps direct you to your early voting sites, our voter database, our registration system. Those are all core parts of our election infrastructure that nobody would question, you know, is it worth taxpayer dollars to have elections? You know, it's such an integral part of our democracy that's kind of beyond even questioning. And these fair election programs are another part of that election infrastructure. At the end of the day, someone's going to pay for campaigns. And nobody here is saying that, you know, fair elections is the ultimate solution. There's a lot of steps we have to take. But this is one of the steps that's really critical to getting people's voices, everyday people's voices, back on par with those special interests and those mega donors. And then while we still need you know, to write out that balance, these programs are the way that we make sure people can be heard in our elections, just like we make sure that their vote is heard on election day. And it's an interesting formula. Again and again, we see, no matter what the jurisdiction, these programs end up costing about $2 per taxpayer per year. So it's not, although Montgomery County has a significant budget and the, the sum total of this program got bandied a lot, about a lot, you know, when you look at it as less than a cup of coffee per taxpayer per year, it's a small investment to make for such a big improvement in our democracy. Okay. Um, I can give you a little under- anecdote if you want, yeah, Ryan, on this. Oh, hey, yeah. uh, a, couple, a couple little anecdotes. I got a, a message on my phone one night uh, I was sitting at home watching TV, and I looked at it, and it was from a teacher who said to me, Bobby, I feel like a baller. I just gave $150 to a candidate, and I'm his contributor. I actually had to look up what the word baller meant. And, uh, and, 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 and so he, he's bragging that at $150, he's the biggest contributor to this candidate. Then I got a message like a, about 30 seconds later. It said, I did it again to another candidate, and I'm his biggest contributor. So here is an, a, a teacher, a person who makes an average wage, becoming the biggest contributor to a candidate, and then having an ownership interest in the election. And this is very important. And, I'll get, and another story I heard from a candidate said, a woman came over to him and said, look, I like the thing you, the piece of paper you put on my door. I like what you have to say. I only have $20. I'm sorry. I know that's meaningless. And he said, lady, that's worth $100. 
It's a hmm. lot of money. And you're 20. And what's interesting, Ryan, as you know, as you may know, in 2014, the last gubernatorial election, voter turnout in Montgomery County w- was under 17 percent, the yeah. lowest in the entire state. Voter yeah. disengagement was is very high in Montgomery County. There's a high level of voter disengagement, and there's also voter unhappiness because, as you know, term limits passed by 70 percent. So this combination of voter disengagement and voter unhappiness, there needs to be some steps taken to improve that. And I believe public financing will get more voters engaged in the process because their $5 is a meaningful contribution to candidates. It's not, it's not meaningful if the candidate gets $6,000 from a PAC and you give them 5 You're meaningless. But if the biggest contribution is $150 and you give them 50 or 20 you're you have uh, ownership interest in the candidate and hopefully in our democracy. Danielle, if we go to your website and or we send you a check, and if I sent you a check today for 150 bucks, how much would that in turn um, be matched with public funds? How much would you get in in total? So as, as um, Bobby mentioned and Jennifer mentioned, there's a sliding scale. There's um, – it depends on, you know, depending on how much the donation is, that's how many times it's matched. The smaller donations are actually matched four to one. So as Bobby was saying, a $5 donation is worth $25. The, in the middle, between anything above 50 and below, you know, up to 100, that's three to one. So a $75 donation then is multiplied by four. So, so it ends up, you know, so the, then you end up getting $300. And then at the highest end, $150 donation, anything above 100 and up to 150 is two to one. So your $150 donation becomes $450. Oh. And so the – and I think what's wonderful about that sliding scale is it really does encourage people to seek out the smallest donations. So you're going to – or rather by rewarding those small donations, um, it really tells somebody who only has $5, 10 $15 to give that their donation is very meaningful. I mean, it's not literally worth as much as a $150 donation, but the multiplication makes it very valuable to the candidates. And, and what's different, and, and Bobby and I, you know, have talked about this. I think, you know, he's talked about it on, um, on his website, is that it really changes the way candidates think about fundraising. I know it's certainly, um, like I said, it's, it's one of the biggest things that excites me about this election because rather than spending all this time on the phone or courting large donors, which is what candidates spend most of their time doing. I was talking to somebody who's running for Congress and somebody who's in Congress, and they all, you know, lament how much time they spend on call time. I mean, and every candidate hates it because that's not why they're yeah. running for office. But they're, you know, be meeting people and, and chatting them up and culti- they call it donor cultivation, like there's some, you know, rare flower or something. And, and that's time, literally, they spend, you know, the first – however many months of the campaign, just trying to get these dollars. Whereas for me, because I need to reach a certain threshold in order to qualify for public financing, both a dollar threshold and a number of voters, you know, a number of Montgomery resident donors, um, it gives me the incentive to just go out there and talk to people. I need to to talk to folks just to get those Uh donations. And those are the very same folks I'm going to talk to to get their votes. So from day one, it's just a completely different kind of fundraising. Uh, you bring up an excellent point, Danielle, and and that is um, there's a – I won't mention the candidate's name, but there's a candidate who I know is running for Congress, and this person is an excellent candidate, and they would be a fantastic congressperson, and they – I was working with this 
particular candidate to get a meeting on the books. And their their folks are saying, well, we're, they're, they're spending so much time on dialing and picking up the phone and calling people to, to give them money. And it sort of, you know, we, we've scheduled a meeting and this person is great. And it's just, I understand that many candidates at the federal level are constantly, every cycle, are picking up the phone, calling people, asking them for money for the reelection bid. And they might be doing more of that than spending time out actually talking to voters, but there could be a trade-off. And the thing is, the trade-off is, is that they've raked in the dollars to send their message and send everybody mailers and TV ads. And that's great because that also introduces the candidates, but there's really nothing better than that one-on-one interaction. I mean, Danielle, you and I had an, a great opportunity to sit down over a cup of coffee and for over an hour, and you and I talked about policy and platform, and you can have those conversations, maybe five, six, seven, eight of those a day, which I, I think is extremely valuable in this race. It, it's right? unbelievable, and I think, I think um, just what you're following what you're saying about the, you know, the, the Congress people, I mean, especially now you know, with, the, with the representatives having two years, just two years before they have to do it again, I've actually heard people say that they literally spend 40% or less time legislating and 60% fundraising from the day they get into the office if they ever want to get reelected. And if they're not raising for themselves, they're raising for, you know, the party or they're helping somebody else. It's just constantly about the dollars. Um, and it's, it, it just robs even the best people of the time they want to do the job mm-hmm. because otherwise, you know, it's, it's just becomes so expensive to run um, and, and nobody can do it without just begging lots of people for money all the time. Bobby, go ahead and follow right. that point up. I, I wanted to um, to give you some really specific examples. Um, one, uh, Danielle had a fundraiser in a coffee shop for free. Um, you know, I see a lot of uh, invitations to uh, fundraisers for candidates, $500 to get in the door, $1,000 to get in the door, $2,500. And Danielle held one in a coffee shop for free. Mm. Now, we call, I call this taking fundraising from the suites to the streets. Mm. Um, fundraising is going, instead of the penthouse apartment of a wealthy donor or, uh, or the home of a $2 million home where you have to spend $1,000 just to get in the door, this is done in a free coffee shop. But let me tell you about how this results in much better policy. Instead of the policy being made by people who give campaign checks for a thousand, five thousand dollars, or bundle them and you get, they give you ten checks for five thousand dollars a piece because they're a bundler. What I've heard from a candidate running for Congress was, she gets great legislative ideas from the voters and she can turn them into policy. But if she's spending all her time with fundraising, she doesn't get the chance to meet with voters and get those good ideas that can make the difference in the lives of everyday people. So uh, this is a way of connecting up the people who are our representatives and the people who who elect them so that the legislative proposals come from the people to the, leg- to the legislators. And I want to add one more thing, and I think it's really important. MocoVoters.org is nonpartisan. We talk to the Republicans, Democrats, Green Parties, Independents. 
public financing is the same way. It is nonpartisan. There are Democratic candidates running under public financing. There are Republicans candidates running under public financing. I believe there's a Green candidate running under it. Public financing in Montgomery County is run in a way that it works no matter what party you are in. And I think that there are people in each party who really like it. And it's kind of a rare issue. It's kind of a rare thing when people from the different parties agree on something. And I think that's just great. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jennifer, um, to follow up on that, if candidates who do not opt in to public financing, um, what are – what are they? I mean, we talked about they're doing traditional methods of, of, of raising money, but does Common Cause, do they reach out to these candidates and say, hey, you really should consider this public financing thing? Do you, do you guys do that? Well, the Common Cause, unfortunately, does not endorse candidates. And so we right. are being a bit careful. You know, we are lauding the candidates that are using this program because we think it is a game changer. Um, but we are, you know, being somewhat careful to not, you know, brandish sticks at the candidates who are not participating. But I think what we're seeing is that the citizens will play that role and play it very actively. We're seeing the candidates who aren't participating having to either excuse their lack of participation, come up with reasons why they're not participating. We've seen some try to say, well, I'm not participating, but I'm not going to take dirty money. I'm just kind of doing it this way. So we're definitely seeing the candidates who aren't part of the system trying to explain why they're not. And so I think that it is on the citizens' mind. There's about 40 officially declared candidates across the executive and council races, and that doesn't include the you know, dozens of people that are still out there in the rumor mills. But of the officially declared candidates, there's about 40 who are, and of those, 31 are participating in the program. So the, wow. the vast majority are clearly saying that the public will is for candidates who will step up and help reclaim our democracy. Ryan, Bobby, this is Bobby Lippman. We do, my organization does meet with candidates and does uh, encourage them uh, to take uh, public financing. We meet with them in advance. And I have to tell you, there was one candidate who we met with who I did not think would take public financing. He's already in office. And we met with him. Uh, he said, I'll think about it. I'll let you know. And I saw him a few months later, and I said, I'm, I said, I really liked you, but the one thing I was sorry about, I didn't think you were going to take public financing. I didn't think you were going in that direction. And he said, I'm taking public financing. And I gave him a big hug. And so I think – and we also had one of, one of his constituents call him. I reached out and urged one of his constituents to reach out to someone who knew him, and he took public financing. So I think – I'm not saying that my efforts made a difference, but I think – the candidates are beginning to realize this could be important for voters, and they one of the things that voters will want, want to know about is whether or not they will be using public financing. And some voters have already said they will be using this as a screen, mm-hmm. and will and will be using this as a litmus test, and they will not vote for any candidate who doesn't take public financing. Let's pay some homage to Phil Andrews. Um, he has quoted. Um, I'm just reviewing a Washington Post article back in uh, 2014, and Phil Andrews um, kind of set the ball rolling. He was a major proponent of this system, and um, we, he he had said that you know they're creating a 21st century model for public financing, um, and he was the bill's chief ar- architect, that is the former uh, councilman. So. 
Um, what? What did? How did and Phil get? And a former executive director of Kamikaze Maryland. Okay. And what did he do? Um, and talk. Let's 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 give him credit. And uh, what did what did he do? For, so for, Andrews, for this, when he was on the council, not only was he very helpful in pushing the legislature to keep this enabling language on track, it was part of a 70-page omnibus campaign finance reform act, and it was one of the pieces that they were, you know, maybe less excited about moving forward because I think there is an understanding that. If this goes well in the counties, the next target is the legislature themselves, certainly our, our grand plan. And so Phil Andrews was very helpful in pushing them and saying, you know, how much the counties want this. And then he was also, in, you know, the one to get right on this program, right out of the gate. And it wasn't easy. We have not seen these programs get put in place since the Supreme Court's decision in Citizens United. And so even though we drew from the best programs that are out there, the campaign realities have changed so much. It took a lot of work dealing with Maryland's, you know, peculiarities in our campaign finance system and trying to come up with a program that would be modern, that would work, and that would be attractive to candidates. I think we nearly wore out the poor staff attorney, I think it was 17, almost 20 drafts of this bill before we, we finally had it final. And none of that would have happened if Andrews hadn't been there saying, you know, yeah. this is the moment and we have to take it. Uh, Danielle, let's get into the nitty gritty, the granular. What is the process to start out to apply for public financing? And as a candidate, what do you have to do? Do you have to show that you are a um, you're able to raise some money, you have a little bit of seed money. How does that process work? So um, to, to apply is actually quite easy. Um, it's just it's what you do when you're applying, when you tell the state and the county that you want to be a candidate. You just opt in by checking a box. or um, But that just says that you are willing to commit to this path. To actually get matching funds, you have to uh, get a certain number of donations and a certain dollar amount. So for the, it, it depends on the race. Since I'm at the at-large race, I need to get 250 donations from Montgomery County residents and a total of $20,000. So I can obviously go over those, but I have to hit both of those thresholds, at least 250 individual donations. I'm sorry, 250 individual donors. Mm-hmm. So if somebody gives me four donations, it's still one donor. Um, so 250 individuals have to decide to donate, and I have to raise at least $20,000 that way. Mm-hmm. Once that happens, then the matching automatically kicks in, and it, the county will match all the donations up to that point and from that point. But, so, so I think it's actually very well structured because anybody can opt in, but the county doesn't actually commit funds until somebody proves that, they can, um, that they're actually a viable candidate. And they don't prove it by some arbitrary you know, raising money in general, they prove it by getting 250 people behind them. So it's already, in a sense, a mini vote. It's, it's, a, it's a vote of confidence by um, voters, you know, by a certain number of residents who are saying, yes, I'm literally willing to put my money behind this candidate. Have you, have you found that difficult so far, Danielle, or is that an easy feat to, to accomplish? I mean, I think all fundraising is challenging. It's um, – <laughs> The biggest thing is that we're starting so early, I think, that people are saying election. Like, what? What do you mean? It's next June, this primary? <laughs> you know, um, Didn't we just finish an election cycle? 
so people aren't tuned into it necessarily. And it is, it is going up. You know, it's 250 individuals who are willing to open their wallet or write their check, and that's, it's not easy to do that. Um, especially when, like I said, it's not in the media, so they don't have that sense of, oh, there's an election around the corner. Um, that said, I actually find that people, like I said, they get very excited about it, and they want to help. And when you say, you know, like we've done some street canvassing where we're just, you know, hey, we're out here with the campaign, we want to talk to me. You know, people give you $5, $20, you know, just pull it out of their wallet. Um, of course, it's not just as simple as that. You say, great, can you now fill out this really detailed form that the county makes me do? Um, <laughs> but, I mean, and it's all for good reason, obviously. They want to document it. Um, sure, they don't want any fraud, which is a great reason. It's a little tedious, but it's good reasoning. Um, so I, it's it's the challenge is the same challenge of getting elected. You know, I'm asking people, I mean, getting elected is you're asking them for their time, their money, or their votes. So, you know, if I if I can't get 250 people to donate, how am I going to get 50,000 people to to vote? Um, so it really is. It just it starts the campaign on on that that exact sort of outreach, talking to your constituents from day one. How much money is too much? We had a congressional candidate in 2016 who jumped into a race that was already and I I assume. Um, Daniel, you live in the 8th Congressional District. Bobby, are you in the 8th or are you in the 6th? I don't know the number. I can tell you who my congressman is, but I don't know if I can tell (laughs) you what number it is. Jamie's the 6th. Jamie's the 8th and Delaney's the 6th. Right. So I'm in the 6th. So I'm in the 6th, and my congressman spent a lot of money. Um, And Jamie Raskin, they and he and Kathleen and um, Mr. Trone, but Mr. Trone sort of set the bar. Um, He walked in and said, I want to be a United States congressman uh, in the 8th Congressional District where he lives. And he said, I'm I'm going to spend as much money as it takes. Um, So he actually spent, I think, was nearly $13 million of his own money and – he lost, um, and to Jamie Raskin, and uh, now Mr. And, and Trump now is, he's running in a sixth. Right, he is running in the sixth district, um, and he has um, since pledged to uh, raise fifteen million dollars. And at one point, he was going to run for county executive. Um, and you know, there's there's an idea that wealthy politicians jump into these races, and they simply write a check or they have their friends write a lot of checks um, and those checks add up and people, and I think there's a fair criticism that people feel disconnected to democracy when that occurs, because basically what happens is, is that rich people are controlling who is in and out of office um, and nothing against rich people. Um, I I think it's a lot of people are very wealthy by their own merits and have worked hard to, be accomplished, and that's very important to acknowledge in this conversation. But I have, you know, I've donated money to to, to congressional candidates, to state candidates, and it may have been fifteen dollars, a hundred dollars here and there. But they're 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 attending fundraisers at lavish restaurants and and homes, and they're raking in ten thousand dollars, and I couldn't possibly match that. I, I don't have that kind of money. And those voices seem, you know, if somebody, if a $10,000 donor 
picks up the phone and calls a United States congressman, and the $50 donor picks up the phone and calls a United States congressman, most of them will say, oh, no, we'll, we'll take every call. But let's be real, ladies and gents. Um, that person that writes that $10,000 check, um, they may really like the candidate, but isn't, isn't it sort of uh, – there's an implication there that they're – they, 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 they may not they may kind of want something from that. Um, and that might not be a totally fair criticism, but it happens. And that's what happens with money in politics. Am I am I right or wrong or am I completely off the rails here? That's certainly well, right. That's and really, what you see happening yes. uh, this is oh. what you see happening is it, it is by the level of access that everyday people don't have and they know they don't have. And so it does start to disenchant people from democracy because what is my vote compared to that type of donation? And it's interesting because you, you talked about the congressional races. What us at Common Cause are very concerned about are our down-ballot races, so the council races, like Danielle is running for. The, a lot of people have heard of Citizens United, and that allowed all this third-party spending in our elections, and it was a terrible Supreme Court case for money and politics. But less well-known is its little brother, which was issued in 2014, a case called McCutcheon where the Supreme Court struck down federal aggregate limits, but in doing so struck down our state aggregate limit. Maryland had a fairly repressed donor society. You, once you gave $10,000 as a donor, you were done. And that suppressed a lot of our PAC activity, that suppressed a lot of our down ballot races from becoming too expensive. Without that aggregate limit, and we're already starting to see it, we crunched the Baltimore City races, and, and we certainly saw this the down-ballot races are going to start getting more and more expensive. And that's one reason we're so excited to see the, the public funding program operational now, because we think over time, if people are typically participating, it will help keep the costs from accelerating. Ryan, yeah. you know, one, one thing, thing you... I, oh, good. I just wanted to add something to what Ryan was saying earlier about, and also what Jenna was saying about access. It's not so, you know, people think of like, you know, envelopes passed under the table that, you know, if, you have, if you've donated $10,000, you're like bribing somebody. And, and, and it's not, in most cases, I don't think it's that a congressman or whoever, you know, had to raise all that money is consciously saying, well, this person gave me $10,000, they're more important. Because most people don't open their wallet and give you $10,000. Right. You cultivate them. So sure. somebody will sit on the phone or you'll go to coffee or you have a party and you get to know somebody and they want to get to know the candidate and then they're going to invest. So the candidate has now spent a whole lot of time with this person. It's natural that they're going to feel, oh, we're friends. We have the same interests. It's not – I think most candidates don't see themselves going down. They're not taking a bribe. It's human nature to want to give back to somebody who's been generous to you. Of course. And – and if we limit it and say there's a limit to how generous people can be and you're going to have to get a, get a whole bunch of generous people together, then you're not going to naturally say, well, this person really helped me out. Of course I want to help them. You know, you're not going to play favorites in that way. So, so people don't have to be, like, corrupt or immoral to sure. be unconsciously swayed, and that's why opting in is so important. It helps me maintain my own integrity. You know, who knows? I mean, I'd like to think that that wouldn't happen, but, again, it's human nature. And you know what? Who needs that temptation? I don't even want that. I want to tell the voters I'm maintaining my integrity by treating everyone equally. Yeah. Bobby, go ahead and follow that up. Well, you know, the, um, the New York Times, and I'm harking back to the 
Malt to the fact that this is not a partisan issue. The New York Times reported a number of years ago that Americans, and this is a quote here, Americans, regardless of their political affiliation, agree that money has too much influence on elections. The wealthy have more influence on elections, and candidates who win office promote policies that help their donors. Um, this translates into a, an expression that I sometimes use of, you heed who you need. If you need the big donors, you heed them. And the worst, you know, people say, well, is this going to raise my property taxes if we have to pay, you know, uh, create this fund for uh, for um, special for uh, um, people running under the public financing system? The worst and most expensive form of government is government that where policies are dictated by the wealthy few, because they will then get camp tax breaks and policies that will benefit them and and uh and that is the worst form of government possible that is the most expensive because the wealthy will seek campaign tax reductions for themselves and you know where the taxes then fall on the average citizen so and also policies that are geared for them as well so i would just say that it's a nonpartisan issue and you're absolutely right but i have to tell you that i i, I believe that the worst and most expensive form of government is government where it is it is driven by the uh, special interest campaign contributions. I think it's fair to say that Montgomery County is a wealthy place. It's it it is. I mean, we're in the backyard of Washington D.C. Um, it's it's not a cheap place to live. Uh, we have, but we do have great schools. Um, we're working on infrastructure. Um, we're working on. Dear God, we're working on getting Amazon to come here. That would be great. Um, and there's there's a whole lot of positive movement forward in our communities, and that's just that that is something I'm I'm hopeful for. But you know, and it is a very rich place, and people want to have that influence. And there's lots of people around this county who can write those big checks. And let's talk some history. Um, in the past, there have been labels attached to candidates or individuals that they are controlled by the the major developers and by other uh, like a certain clique of individuals that want to directly influence county government um is that a fair criticism jennifer is that do you think that's actually happening here in montgomery well certainly when you look at just where does the money come from whether you're talking about Montgomery County or almost any other county in Maryland, developers are the entity with the most skin in the game. Part of it is because of that aggregate limit. If you only have 10000 to spend and you're an animal rights advocate, you're probably going to focus your donations on the state legislature because they're going to ultimately do more potentially for you than your county council can. But if you're a developer – you might not even fund your state legislature at all because the counties have so much influence over land use decisions. And because of a, a nasty little loophole in our campaign finance law, the LLC loophole, limited liability corporations historically have been able to give beyond what any other type of company could have given because they were treated with this kind of special consideration. So a lot of the rules didn't apply to them. So that combination of LLCs, which a developer typically has multiple LLCs because that's how you protect your properties, and the fact that this is where all the heat is for your issue, 
that has driven developers to be the most engaged unit at the local level compared to any other, you know, kind of funded interest. And you see that whether you're looking at, you know, Western Maryland, Eastern Shore, Montgomery County, you see that same story repeat itself. Here's a scenario I want to throw at at you, um, and this this could happen or it couldn't happen, but let's just say, for example, that there is a candidate who is running for county executive in here in Montgomery in the upcoming election, and this person says, "I want to get together and I want to put a slate to can slate of candidates together." And oh, by the way, I, I I'm very wealthy. I'm going to go ahead and fund your candidates mm-hmm. as a slate county council candidates and here's here's my hand selected um top picks for um you know here's the the several at large candidates and then district one two and so on and so on um is is that a likely is that a scenario that is plausible could that could that happen here in montgomery county oh i think there were rumors that it was going to happen (laughs) yeah exactly i think that the the david trone effect uh from a, a purely Mama Bear perspective towards our public funding program, I think there was a bit of relief that we didn't see a, a David Trone type individual enter the executive race because there was a lot of chatter that, that someone like that might create a council slate and really skew the, the program's kind of first year on the charts. Hmm. So, I mean, so that that is a scenario that could have happened, and Danielle, you were going to follow up on that. Well, I was saying that I think there was fear of that because, um, you know, it's back to what you were saying about about our, you know, eighth district and and sixth district. Um, you know, regardless of who the individual is, I don't, you know, whatever your values are, whatever you know, somebody wants to do good things, that's in effect buying an office. I'm going to put 13 million. I'm going to put 15 million. I'm going to put 20 million, and and we know, I mean, money does buy access to voters because there's a million people in Montgomery County, so. TV ads. No, as we saw in the eighth, it it actually didn't work. You know, this time around or last time around. But um, you know, get, just getting in front of people, getting those mailers. I I think you know we used to joke that we could have you know wallpapered our dining room in in, in those mailers. I got so many um, that it just buys you know time on television, time on the radio, time, and and it's in fact trying to buy a seat. And that is just the most undemocratic thing I can think of. I mean, that's. And the idea that there's an individual can just self-fund, and that an individual doesn't see anything wrong with that. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, sure, I've got the money. Why shouldn't I be entitled? Look, there are some people, and this is not – I mean, David Trone is a self-made man, and there's a lot to admire there, sure. I think. I mean, you hear his life story. It's very impressive. And I, and I think, therefore, he sh- he's a great candidate, he, by all means. He's just like everybody else. He should try his hand in, you know, if, if he thinks he has a message, then by all means – but to say, I've done this, and I have this great message, and I have the money that entitles me to do that, well, it's that last part where I just, wait a second. <laughs> um, just because somebody has a lot of money does not entitle them any more, give them any more standing in our democracy. It shouldn't. And that's what's so important about public financing. And a lot of people have felt that that is the case, um, that people who have deep pockets uh, can can run the gambit, can control the game, and control the outcome. Now, that's not always true. I mean, in, look at our presidential election. I believe Donald Trump raised significantly less money than did Hillary Clinton. 
Um, and of course, Hillary Clinton, um, while she did win the popular vote, as I always like to remind people, um, the Electoral College um, sweeped her away. And now we have tweeting presidents. Um, so, um, <laughs> yeah, I have to take a drink on that one. Um, so, you know, well, it's, it's another interesting change in our campaign finance laws that I don't think Maryland law is really ready for. But what is the social media effect? And I think that's that a great question. In an interesting way, it's something that these publicly funded candidates will be more prepared to take advantage of because they have these broad networks and they have to build the bigger base of followers. And those followers will hopefully bring more followers. But we saw with now Governor Hogan's campaign he had significantly more social media traction than Anthony Brown spent less money and won. We saw with now president Trump's campaign, he had significantly less money in the election than Hillary Clinton had more social media followers and won. And Hmm. I'm not going to be so bold as to say that, you know, people should be looking on January 17th, not just at money in the bank, but just at social media following. But I think that, (laughs) It's a, it's a seismic shift in our campaigns that I don't know that we've all really figured out what that means. Yeah, You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a side to this, uh, and I'm so glad that Jennifer brought that up, and thank you um, for the floor, um, uh, Ryan. There's a side to this is that is that I don't want to mention it, and maybe it's for another show, but I'll just allude to it. There is not a single daily newspaper that focuses on Montgomery County. Mm. I, I meet thoughtful, educated people, some of whom consider themselves to be relatively politically savvy, who have not the faintest clue about how the county works, um, the, the, the districts, or, or about public financing, the basic things one would need to know to be an educated voter, and I'm talking about intelligent, well-educated people. And, and of course, how would they? There's not a single daily newspaper that focuses mm-hmm. on Montgomery County. And I would hasten to add that Montgomery County has the same population as Rhode Island. We're over a million people. Howard County has one or two newspapers, and their population is much less. And I, I think one of the things that if, that the Washington Post has a, um, has a model that says democracy dies in darkness. I think yeah. that's very appropriate. And I think that if there's one thing that the county council and the county executive failed to do, is and something that I've wanted to do as Moco voters that Oregon have tried to do but have not been successful, is to is to bring together the media, um, the political figures, and say, what can we do to build um, to create an environment, an economic environment where there will be one or two daily newspapers reporting <laughs> on our county because that's so important to inform voters. I have a remedy part time. is It's called a minordetail.com, and uh, <laughs> I would be, uh, it is. It would be remiss if I, I did really. not give a shameless plug on my my website. I am look. I am. I don't make any money from this. Um, maybe one day I'll figure out how to be really smart and put my business degree to work and monetize it. But I work a full time job mm-hmm. in Rockville and. I love to do, but I, this is a passion. It's a hobby um, doing this every Sunday night and, and at other times and then writing and getting up at sometimes four thirty, five o'clock in the morning and putting together a story that I've researched for the last three days um, and then putting it to paper and then doing an outline and then putting it and hitting the publish button on my website. It takes a while and I wish I could be everywhere 
that I could possibly be. And there are some fantastic journalists that are in this area. I miss dearly Bill Turk, who was a real champion for journalism. This, just the hard knocks kind of uh, true and true great reporter who will be dearly missed in this campaign cycle. But I have to give out, a sh- I, I want to give a shout out to a couple of other people that are doing great work. Um, one is my friend, Doug Talman from MC media. Doug is uh, mm-hmm. very hands-on um, uh, Andrew um, um, Medcalf from Bethesda beat. They are doing an excellent job of covering the day-to-day scoops of politics and uh, Seventh State, um, uh, David Lublin and Adam Podnacchio also are talking a lot about policy. And we're all, we all understand that the absence of the Gazette that left us, it is. It's a major problem. Candidates are, are thriving for content. They're just yearning for that. And um, if we can talk about important issues like public financing and policy and infrastructure and, and talking about our education budget – and anything with that has it's related to the county council, I hope that this show is just a very small piece of that puzzle. And that's what I'm trying to do um, with a minor detail as well as this a minor detail radio. And so throughout the entire cycle, I want to get as many candidates as possible because um, we want to use this information to um, to implore voters to take it to the bank and then um, – get involved in their community and then go vote. And, you know, that's, that's the most important thing. And that's, I put a Facebook status out today. I said, look, everybody who is talking about the national anthem and uh, honoring the flag, let's just hope that that is translated into the polling station in November of next year. And then in 2020, right? I mean, we're, you can't be Facebook warriors without some sort of follow-up action, and uh, that's what I'm hoping that we can do, inspiring people to give them the knowledge, empower them with information to go out and make decisions that are going to continue to move our community in the right direction. But let me follow up on um, some the, the other issue with public financing. So we talked about the positives, uh, Jennifer, Bobby, and Danielle, and let's – Let's shift over a second, and what are some of the criticisms? What are some of the valid criticisms that council members have had at the time when this bill was um, being discussed at the council level, and are those criticisms still present? So let me start with you, Danielle, and we're going to talk just briefly about some of those basic criticisms for for the public financing system. Well, I can speak to it, um, obviously, from the candidate's point of view. And I'd say really the only criticism I have, and, and I'm not sure how you get around it, is, the, well, the paperwork requirement. Um, well, I could say it would be nice to update the system. You know, right now, I mean, it's, it's a bit technical, but um, there are some frustrations. Everything has to be entered manually. It, when I'm getting donations electronically, um, which is how the majority of donations came in, of course, for the presidential election, the fact that I literally have to enter that again when it's already in a database makes no sense to me. Um, so the system, you know, just isn't 21st century at all. It's like somebody took a paper system and just transferred it whole cloth antiquated. to a computer with no thought of like, oh, what can a computer do to make life easier? <laughs> um, so that's rather frustrating. Yeah. Um, and I think for me that's really the only, like, the I mean, the main things, like sort of those, in, those details, there's that, and then there's um, – you know, I have a bit of a frustration that, you know, of course, in Montgomery County, I know the law is very comprehensive, and that's, that's great, and the people who interpreted it want to make sure, you know, that they 
or getting it right and hitting all the um, you know, hitting all the points that were intended. At the same time, there are some ways you could argue that we're almost putting more of a burden on public financing candidates because they have more paperwork um, and because our donors actually have to jump through a few more hoops. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we can't use Act Blue, which is the most commonly used Democratic fundraising platform, which makes life easier because, I mean, I donated to Clinton, you know, so I could easily just, oh, Act Blue, click, they already have my information. And it's what they call low friction, where somebody can just click, click, and they're done. We can't do that. Um, mm. We have to put like a signature, uh, another signature. And Act Blue has, I mean, I spoke to folks at Act Blue, and they said, we're trying to work with the county, and they're not working with us. Um, so it is frustrating that, you know, that it couldn't be smoothed out a bit to make it easier for the donors. But I honestly think these are just some of the hiccups, and, you know, we're the guinea pigs for this first cycle. Um, and obviously, I'd rather have it than not. But it's mainly technical things like that. Jennifer. Um, and guinea pigs is right. And I think that Howard <laughs> County, who now has legislation that's passed, but they won't be active till 2022, and other counties that are having these conversations, Prince George's is you know, actively looking at a program. I think they all owe every Montgomery candidate a drink because <laughs> you're, you're doing so much of this hard work for them. The other huge issue that we did here when the bill was being drafted is that bigger picture, you know, if the goal is to get money out of politics, is, is this the way? Mm-hmm. And the answer, unfortunately, is there's no silver bullet, it's silver buckshot. And one, one of the best spokespeople on these programs is, is Congressman Sarbanes, who says, yeah. you have to have more rules on the game. You know, yes, we have to address Citizens United and McCutcheon. We have to tighten up these loopholes that allow LLCs to donate at higher rates. You know, we need all those rules. And ultimately, we do believe that, you know, campaigns are getting out of control and, and that we need less money spent. And so the, the frustration is that these programs don't directly do all of those things. They don't create those rules. But what these programs do is they get more players on the game. And so while we're still beating our heads against that wall of Citizens United and all the other problems we have to fix, getting these programs up and running and getting more people back on the field and getting people participating, everyday people engaging and believing in their candidates, you know, we think that's such a critical first step. And it will give us the ability to have more firepower in our legislatures to go after those bigger problems. Mm-hmm. And here's here's a follow up to that. Um, when the when the bill was first being discussed uh, among the council members, um, there was a few council members who raised concerns. One being Council Member Nancy Florine, who is sitting in a, an at large seat, who is not running for re-election, um, and she said the bill was a solution to a problem that does not exist, and that money is not always needed to run a successful campaign. And she said, I've got to question what this is intended to affect. There are a lot of ways to get name recognition. So, Bobby, do you want to address that? (laughs) You know what? I would just say that many voters were born at night, but we weren't born last night. Oh, That's my response to that. (laughs) Fair enough. uh, I I, I would say that... uh, um, um, I, I want to add a couple things. One, your list of journalists was good, but I want to add a few people else that voters, your listeners Please. may want to follow. Josh Kurtz at Maryland Matters. Yes. Glenn Lazarick and Glennis Kazanjian 
at Maryland Reporter, and you know there's some good folks at Washington Post who are trying to fill in with um, uh, in Bill Turk's absence. I would say Josh adding Hicks to what, Obeda Wiggins. What? I, I, Josh Hicks as as well as Obeda right. Wiggins. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a bunch of them there, and I didn't want to kind of go into names because you probably know them better than I do. But there's some good people at the Washington Post who are trying to fill in. I think Jennifer may have alluded to this, but one of the problems that we anticipate is that there are um, independent expenditure groups out there uh, who may be uh, planning to dump a lot of money to uh, even help a candidate who's taking public financing or one who's not. Um, these are not regulated. I think this is what, it, what Jennifer was kind of alluding to. They could be um, probably business interests who are amassing large amounts of money in, in pack, one sort of pack or another and planning on dumping it and 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 then trying to skew the election for one particular candidate or not. Whether that'll happen or not, I'm, I'm constantly told by people it will happen. I do want to kind of, I know we're getting to the end. Phil Andrews, by the way, had said that there was, uh, I think the complaints about the system are, are, are often uh, facile. Uh, Phil Andrews has said, um, and, he, and I, I'm kind of quoting here as best I can, that there's no reason, and he had any added, no good reason not to take public financing. One of the uh, candidates running for county executive talked about how he needs to raise a lot of money to get his message out. Well, the county, the, the law is brilliantly written. There is no cap on the amount of money a candidate under public financing can raise. There's a amount of a cap on how much individual contributions are, 150. There's a cap on how much matching funds there are. But if he can continue to raise money under the, for 150, 150, 150, literally could raise millions and millions and millions of dollars if he can get a lot of $150 contributions. So there's no cap on the amount of money can be raised under public financing. And um, the other thing is, is that oh, I don't. The other excuse we've heard from one or more candidates, um, don't know without getting into names, but we'll put them on our website at appropriate times, is. <laughs> We don't, we don't want to use taxpayers' money. It should go to teachers. It should go to things like that. Well, let me tell you, there's an easy remedy. You can take public financing and, at the same, and, and subject yourself to the limit and at the same time never ask for matching funds. Mm. You, can get, you can get thousands of people to give you $150 and just say, look, I don't want matching funds. So if you want to avoid uh, using getting money from taxpayers, you can do it under public financing. If you want to raise four or five million dollars, you can do it under public financing. Will it be easy? No. But all I'm saying is that these excuses is I have to get my message out. I need more. I can't use public financing, or I don't want to use taxpayers' money. These are all excuses. Um, that there are. The law is brilliantly written to allow the fact raising unlimited funds under public financing and also that if you don't want to get matching funds, you don't have to ask for it. So going into our final thought stage of this show, Jennifer, um, briefly, what, what does Common Cause Maryland do and could you offer some final thoughts on Montgomery County's public financing system? Certainly. So Common Cause Maryland, we work to ensure that democracy is functioning at its highest capacity, that citizens are being listened to, not special interests, that everybody's voice can be heard. And we do see this public funding program as critical, not just to helping balance, resource and balance in Montgomery County itself, but it's really started a tidal wave. Howard mm -hmm. County uh, went to the ballot, was supported 53%, passed into law. Prince George's County, active conversations. We have a very keen bill sponsor, a town hall Thursday night uh, for anyone who is in the College Park area. 
and we're in conversations with other you know jurisdictions and ultimately this will build up to momentum for a statewide bill so really the the eyes are all on Montgomery County and we hope that the citizens you know vote not just for you know the candidates they like but that part of their litmus test is whether they took this program because ultimately every election is a referendum on these programs and the voters mm-hmm. have to say we want these candidates above any other mm-hmm. oh, Danielle what are your final thoughts well I think um, it's interesting what you know Nancy Fulham is saying about how you know, genius isn't a problem I mean, I think it's pretty um, it's pretty clear. You know, I think the post was back in 2014 when we had this. We were first talking about this. Said that that, that I think I believe that the um, statement was that the council it, council campaigns are magnets for developer money. Um, that's where most of the money, as Jennifer was saying, comes from. And you know, in Mar- Montgomery, in Maryland, maybe not Montgomery County, but Maryland in general, the second largest source of campaign donations is fossil fuel um, industry and. And we saw that in the, you know, the fight against, um, you know, the folks who want to, to um, keep fracking or bring fracking to Maryland. And so, you know, a lot of these decisions, I mean, when you're talking about the council, the number one, um, you know, area of the council's decision-making power is on land use and development. So, of course, that's where the money is going to gravitate, and you're going to get that. And, and I think development is a really important part of our county, um, but the community should be part of the decision, not just the folks who stand to make the most money. And here it's development somewhere, you know, in other places, something else. But anything that minimizes the voter's choice and the voter's voice is destroying democracy. So I'm really excited both as a citizen and as a candidate to be participating in this system. And when I talk to people, I was door knocking today, or when I do, you know, like Bobby was saying, when I'm talking at a coffee shop, I always bring this up, and people are really excited to hear about it. I think, um, you know, a service that, that Bobby's organization is doing and that what you're doing right now on the show and that Jennifer's doing is just letting people know because especially now when people are feeling so discouraged by the last election, knowing that we're going in the right direction in Montgomery County is really a bright spot for a lot of folks. Yeah, and Bobby, you, uh, you have the final thought. You know, Ryan, uh, I love America. I really do. Um, I keep in the back of my mind that Americans have lost their lives in battlefields overseas to protect our right to vote. Um, And I think that we have to honor those men and women who lost their lives overseas by taking seriously our right to vote. Um, I think that voters need to learn about the new law, which which really enhances their, their right to vote uh, and their participation on democracy. They can go to mocovoters.org and uh, sign up for our email list or our, um, follow us on Facebook. They can talk to their neighbors. And I think the three other things I'd like them to do is – Find out a candidate taking public financing and contribute to their campaign. Even the minimum contribution is five bucks. Give them five bucks. The other thing they could do is, is if they like a candidate, volunteer. Invite people over to their homes, to their neighbors, and talk to them about their candidate. Solicit more $5 contributions for them and volunteer. And the last thing is, besides contributing, besides volunteering for the people that they like who are taking public financing, is to use the the public financing system as a filter and say, I will vote for the candidates who are taking public financing because they are running for the right reasons and they're supporting the, 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 the goals of the public financing system, which are the goals are 
official goals, and these are not on making up, these are the official goals to reduce the influence of large contributions from businesses, political action groups, and other large organizations, two, to increase opportunities for more residents to run for office, and three, encourage greater voter participation in county elections. And so if they contribute, volunteer, and vote, we're going to have a much better democracy in in our county. And I really appreciate your personal commitment to enhancing that democracy through your show. I appreciate that. That means a lot. And uh, we're going to keep we're going to keep plugging each week and we're going to I'm going to do everything that I can. I wish I could if I could raise money uh, to to have like 20 different reporters at every one of your events and talk about all these great issues that we have at the table, then uh, that 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 would we might be on to something. And I agree with you. We need a, a, a news network that is constantly covering this race. But that is wishful thinking. And maybe one of these days, but I want to thank each of you for spending a Sunday evening, uh, an hour out of your busy schedules to, uh, to visit with us, to, to come on the show and to um, let your voices be heard and talk about an important issue where people still have some questions, but hopefully those questions have been answered tonight. So um, I hope you all decide to come back. Uh, we'll have another discussion um, down the road here. You guys are ladies are fantastic guests and uh, we'll keep, chugging along to um, serve our community and to make Montgomery County the best place to live um, for businesses, for our schools, um, and for people who want to live here, for our immigrants and everyone who wants to enjoy all that this community has to offer. So y'all have a great week. Thanks for being part of the show. And uh, Thanks so much. We'll, uh, we'll wrap you. it up there. Thank you for having us. Yeah, you bet. Thank yeah, you. Have great great Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Okay. So Montgomery County Public's uh, – their finance, the public financing system, um, it's well in effect. Check it out. Continue to talk to candidates. And I'd be interested to talk with candidates who have opted out of taking public financing to just to get the other side of the story, the other side of the perspective. I had three very pro-public financing um, individuals who came on with us to, today. They were great. And uh, I'd like to talk to some of the candidates who will um, not be taking the public financing, and uh, we'll have those folks on. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and say to everyone, have a great week. Continue to check us out on aminordetail.com. This is a Minor Detail Radio. My name is Ryan Miner. I'm your host. I'm going to be here live every Sunday night. I have some great guests coming up, and get involved. Find out who the candidates are their positions and grill them on policy. They like that. They want you to show up to their meet and greets, to their coffee shop meet and greets, to houses and uh, their different events and learn all about what they want to accomplish on behalf of all Montgomery County residents. So with that, I hope you all have a great week and uh, Hey, keep watching football, I guess. All right. Take care, everybody. <laughs>